and welcome to Dungeons and Drama Nerds. My name is Nick, and today I'll be joined by the cast of Every Lancer Gets a Girlfriend, which is our Lancer campaign. Today we're here to talk about the adventures of this Unio crew and their giant mechs. Let's go around and share names, pronouns if you'd like, and roles in the campaign, starting with Julia. Hi, everybody. I'm Julia Doolittle. She, hers, and I uh, GM'd this, this campaign. Giovanni? Hello, I'm Giovanni Camano, he, they. I played the Lancer Atue, codenamed Cacique, who piloted the Upia mech. Tristan? I am Tristan Willis, uh, pronouns they, them. I played Decency B. Dam, who piloted the Ever Given. Ben? I'm Ben Ferber, he, and I played uh, 18,000 slash Fish, who piloted the mech Least Concern. And last but certainly not least, Todd. I'm Todd, he, him. I played Derek McDuck with no accent. Um, and <laughs> I piloted Gear Loose. <laughs> also Thanks. with no accent. Also with no also accent. No accent. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. And thank you for naming your, thank you for sharing your mech names. That is very important. And I did not think to ask it. To kick things off, uh, Julia, I want to start with you and ask, what did you enjoy about running this game? And how is this game different from others that you've run before? Oh, I think for sure the thing that I loved the most about this game was the the wonderful cast that I got to play with. Or I guess players is what they, we, we call them when we're just playing games. The players um, and a cast. We're recording. A player's <laughs> cast, you know. It's just when you're running, you know, a regular homebrew game, if you, you're like, hey, everybody, welcome. You're my cast. They are a little freaked out. They're like, <laughs> ooh, aggressive. Um, uh, well, uh, here it's, it's normal. Yeah, I mean, it was just all of you were just so, so wonderful. When it came to the actual game, uh, I think my my favorite thing was just the fun of the setting, getting to uh, play with giant robots, which I've never gotten to play uh, with any system that had specifically giant robots as the as the only thing you could fight with. Mm. And for the rest of the group, uh, most of you haven't played Lancer before, is my understanding, before you came to the podcast. So I want to ask for those of you who are new to it, what did you really enjoy about the game? And was there anything that surprised you particularly in playing it? Um, I really enjoyed how open-ended the, the game is. It just feels very... And I even say it, I think, in the core book... Um, how you can tell kind of any story in this world. And uh, I think Julia handled it extremely well. Uh, there was just so much, I had no idea what to expect, um, really knowing that the game or feeling like the game could go anywhere. And that made it thoroughly exciting and, and really fun. I think for me, I've GM'd before, but I haven't played. Like this is my first time getting to play it. And I found I had a lot of care about my mech, um, which I wasn't like, it was external from the character. I really enjoyed um, scenes that Tristan did as a decency when like shit was going down on the ever given. And we'd like <laughs> cut to the cockpit as um, decency is like putting out fires and pulling levers and flipping over their cassette tapes. Um, you say the lo-fi music. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I felt that, it was different from role-playing games I've played before where I was just playing a character um, in that, like, there was this external thing that I was using to do a lot of 
the actions um, and it made me like recontextualize um, both my player and my mech. Did anyone else feel that sort of, uh, I don't know, shift is the right word, but that like dual relationship with the with the character and the mech? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I I definitely tried to, and we're going to talk about this later, like, tried to design a character around, like, what this kind of, like, actual physical thing that we use in combat will be. But I will also say, like, the game, like, having never played it before, it is so, like, half half of it is very non-crunchy and half of it is the crunchiest game I have ever played mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in every way. And I really, like, with that and with, like, all of our troubles with the CompCon, I really appreciated the way, like, Julia, that you basically crafted all of these scenes and narratives to, like, be able to get out of what was otherwise, like, six hours of combat like it would have been so much <laughs> combat and you made it interesting by having these plot points that like there were real stakes in this combat i mean like you know hey remember when i almost died <laughs> um and <laughs> i do it was but awesome. there were real stakes in this combat but there were still story beats that got to like change the nature of combat and change what we were doing in it and like end the scene when it was still interesting and so like i mean like in any mech anime like there was enough combat to be like oh it's so cool but there was not too much crunchy game to get in the way of or you know become boring rather than having like a really interesting story where we're all like solving mysteries and making decisions and saying and getting girlfriends most importantly most importantly saying um snarky things to our combatant lots of great lines got out i feel like um yeah isn't there is people who who read the full rule book and remember more of it than me um isn't there a part of lancer that talks about um like ending combat scenes they're they're being needing to have different endings than just like winning combat like um having these other triggers for how a, a scene could end basically yeah, there's a bunch of something that I found interesting about this um, is that um, there's a bunch of different they're called sit reps. Um, so situation reports. And it's like it's not just wipe out the enemy all the time, though. Sometimes it is. And that's OK. Um, but sometimes it's like defend this location while reinforcements are coming to get you or like help get these people out of immediate danger um, within X rounds. And I think um, those styles of play kind of change how you're attacking different obstacles and how you're dealing with different problems, um, but also allow for interesting things to happen, whether you do them well or don't do them well. Uh, yeah, uh, I think it, it reminded me a lot of like um, advanced sort of strategy RPGs actually, where oftentimes the the goal is to just kill all the enemies on the field, but other times it's like, it's impossible to kill all the enemies on the field. You have to get to the other side of the board or you have to get this specific person off the field or something like that. Uh, and that's definitely something I, I took into account when we were, when I was designing the combats. And I also just thought it would be more, especially for the first combat against the Warriors, the Agate Cross, by making it clear that those, those people were characters you could speak to. I always think there's something really interesting in, in figuring out um, character-based ways to either enhance or get out of conflict 
<laughs> um, because like at the end of the day, like when it comes down to stories that are interesting, they're about people. So I was like, okay, from the beginning, there were two characters that if somebody on the team makes a significant, and then there was like the countdown of the robots coming out of the ship that was also going to affect like what the, what the enemy would do. And, uh, yeah, because uh, one, you're completely right, Ben. Like if we played the whole combats, the way I, I think that I'm not sure if they, they intended it to be this way. They're so long and just from a sheer, you know, we're doing a, this is like half game, half podcast. Like we have to make it, um, interesting. Like the only rule is don't be boring. Right. And you're like, I, I, so I made sure like, okay, every round of turns, like something has to happen that, that, uh, uh, swerves the scene basically. Uh huh. So those, the, the robots coming out of the, for the transport ship yeah. there in that first combat were on a specific clock that you had planned out of like, at this point, you know, it will, the, the hand will come out and then they'll pull, pull it open. Is it, is that, yeah, is that just like, a good just summary? like Fosse, he said at this point, <laughs> then your hand comes out. Um. <laughs> and that's where the theater training comes, comes in, in to this. <laughs> well, I will say, yeah. So it's just in Lancer, you do rounds. And I was like, okay, I think roughly in every round, one of the two characters that have names should talk. And at the end of the round, the robots come a little more out. And that's just like, like Ben said, it's keeping it interesting. You know, there has to be like turning points in a scene. And I was like, everyone here will latch on to one of those three things and make choices. I trusted everyone to make a cool choice that would change the scene. Um, and so that's that's how I... And there's nothing in the rule book that's like, by the way, every round of combat should be the same and boring. Don't you dare do anything fun. I think there's also just like in the... In the nature of playing a game around a table, it's different because like sometimes wailing on a bunch of robots is totally fun, but then it's like there's a self-consciousness that comes up when it's like I've been wailing on robots for an hour on mic and I'm having a lot of fun, but I can imagine myself listening to this. And I'm it, like I said this before, like it would be like listening to a numbers station to listen to my <laughs> turn specifically. <laughs> I think you're being a little hard on yourself, but because um, you and everyone, actually, I will say everyone always came up with um, like narrative based reasons to do what they did. And for you, like, I think that actually even in that last fight with Peaches, like you decided that 18,000 was like all in on just killing Peaches, even if that strategically wasn't the best move. I mean, your mech got wrecked basically because you were just like every single move is going to be an attack. And I, I was think like one turn away from dying. Yeah. I think narratively it's still like, oh, we can still see like why every time you're like, okay, well, I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do this and doing the rolls over and over again. We're still like, oh, there's something, there's a reason you're doing this. It doesn't sound like number station. It doesn't sound like Ben doing numbers ASMR. <laughs> I was just going to comment that Julia, um, the way that you gave us those options really made it easy i think as a player to find those narrative reasons having multiple things to play with um the characters you created like <laughs> um I'm, I'm wondering if like the king of the agate cross if you imagined him the way that he ended up being where he is just so adamant that mothers should never be made fun of in general uh because that was just like, such a fun thing to latch onto. and um i don't know i, I could gush but i, I think you really um gave us so many options so many things to play with and as a player it was a playground it was so fun and we just had always uh so many options and uh, it was impressive and, and and very enjoyable oh thank you that's really sweet mm -hmm. 
I, I kind of want to springboard a question off of that, maybe relate thinking about the King of the Akat Cross and the sort of character details, which was, um, you know, this was this campaign took several sessions to play. Um, I was curious, Julia, how far ahead you sort of mapped out the story and the characters, like if you kind of had it all intact from the beginning or just a sketch that you filled in as you went along or kind of how how you went about figuring that out. Uh, I would say that the sketch I had was um, research facility. Um, cat, the cat, Peaches turning out to be the bad guy I knew from the beginning. Um <laughs> because I one I I think that I wanted to really pepper that in it. That's I think in the first episode of gameplay or maybe the second one that we you meet Peaches, uh, just as a cat in in Bertrand's little, um, uh, what do we call them? Ba- baby Bjorn, Bjorn, Bjorn cat, yeah. cat Bjorn, cat Bjorn, <laughs> cat Bjorn, yes. Um, uh, I wanted that to be there early because then when you do the callback, it's more fun. Um. It, but actually, beyond that, all the all the details of what happened after were going to be uh, that was filled in as we played because I was like, okay, what relationships people really cling to, or what the the players are gonna like the hostage situation at Unio that was not planned. I was like, there's gonna be a third act, but I need to figure out like what they what's most important to them before I figure out what the third act is. I just know that Peaches is going to be the final boss, but I don't know where Peaches would go. Like, would Peaches go to the research facility or would Peaches, um, ki- like, kidnap uh, Mom or ki- end up kidnapping Vera or somebody, like, would Pothole McDuck show up? <laughs> like, like, it really depended on what people seemed really interested in interacting with. And then I would just, like, Lila coming back, that was only obviously because Derek... Uh, screwed up slash fell in love (laughs) (laughs) for a brief moment because you teased that like someone who looks familiar silhouette drops in and i was like oh my god pothole mcduck is here and i was very (laughs) excited to see lila that made way more sense (laughs) but i was like holy fucking shit I thought about pothole, but the problem is, is that I I realized like we hadn't ever besides pictures and mentioning of pothole, right. I was like, crap, like we have no emotional connection to pothole. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, I didn't want to do the accent, and um, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is such a shame because actually, for both you and decency, you both had like great characters in the background of your character development that just didn't make it in. And I was like, oh god, if we had like one or two more episodes, like more not just episodes, but like whole missions, like whole little arcs. I'm like, that would be, I would want to bring those characters in to give you guys a little bit more of, uh, of like your, your backstory to take spotlight a little bit there. That was one regret I had that I didn't get to do more with those characters. You I'm just sad that you didn't yeah. get to do the Owen Wilson accent on Mike. Oh yeah. Sorry guys. So that, that, that I really dropped. missed that. That was, that was the highlight <laughs> Hanging out with y'all was making Julia do a Owen Wilson. Oh, okay. I'll try it again once again. Wow, Lancers! <laughs> you, I think you've got a mission. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> I, I can't marry J Lo. <laughs> For context, all of our comp guns were going to sound like that. Yeah, that was a just, brief, a brief idea that didn't make it. It didn't look, guys. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. I'm, I'm so sad we didn't record that first session because it was so good. <laughs> <laughs> so, it was, I think 
I made a lot of mistakes that first session that maybe I don't want to immortalize, but like that's fine. I actually I, I want to talk about that first session a little bit. Or really <laughs> not, not 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 about the Owen Wilson or mistakes, of which I'm sure there were none. Um and nobody and nobody can gainsay me on that because it wasn't recorded. But you all um you you played a session to kind of get your feet wet in this very complicated system before we actually started playing. Um, and if I'm remembering correctly, that you all played at license level zero. Um, and and then for the actual game, you bumped up to license level three, which is sort of the point at which you can... I think license level three makes a lot of sense because it's the point at which you can either go like all in on one particular uh, build or you get multiple pieces from different uh, uh, chassis. So I was curious how the character, how that shift felt for you all. Did you really enjoy the chance to mess around in the guts of this like super crunchy system and pull out different roles for yourselves? What was that like? Uh, I loved it. Um, <laughs> I definitely made spreadsheets and uh, just, yeah, nerded out on it. Um, it was interesting because doing license level zero first, there already is a good amount of options that you can play with on how you want to customize your mech. And then going to license level three, it just kind of explodes in in the amount of options that you have. Uh, so th there is uh, definitely a level of where it can almost potentially be a little crippling trying to figure out um, which choices you want to make, uh, hence the spreadsheets. Um, but it was also really fun in uh, since we had talked about characters and we had done sort of a bit of a practice session it was interesting to me to try to find that balance, uh, and I think it's probably true with most role-playing games, but especially with this one where you make so many strategic choices, I guess, where balancing between the narrative uh, creation of the character and um, the, you know, the mech that you're trying to build for combat, probably trying to make it ideal for that, but um, also being willing to compromise on it not being the most amazing mech or, or the most powerful one because it reflects certain uh, traits of your character. And, and that was fun for me to let go because I, <laughs> with the spreadsheets, I was very intent on making the best choices, which is ridiculous, of course. But um, once I surrendered that to just thinking about what my character would do, what choices he would make um, with all of those options available made it really fun um i i didn't anticipate everything becoming crab based but it sure did and i loved it and julia's little uh under the sea lyric is gold um so yeah i don't know it was, it was very fascinating very fun to play in it's a lot it, it, it can definitely be a lot but um once those choices were made um it felt I don't know. I had a lot of ownership and pride in the build that I had had made in, in knowing that it was this character and this is the kind of mech that he would have. Um, it was very satisfying. Very fun. Yeah. I Oh, I was just going to agree wholeheartedly that like I'm, I'm a person who before I buy something, I read every single one of the 1600 reviews on it. Um, 
That's an exaggeration, but not by much. Um, and so the prospect of having all of these options, uh, when I first glanced at it, even at license level zero, was uh, a little overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, but similarly, at, at one point, I was just like, okay, I've <laughs> I've already made the disastrous decision to call my mech the Ever Given. Um <laughs> I just need to find the biggest mech that is the most immovable object <laughs> that I can and then just like load it up with ridiculous the heavy machinery is <laughs> kind of what my my goal was. So I just ended up building uh, you know similarly to Yuzhavani I just ended up building around um kind of aspects like traits I was expecting um, my character to prioritize um, in their mech. And yeah, so it was, it was easy to be like, okay, I'm just the tank needs to be able to take as much as possible. And even thinking about it in that way, like in a, in a video game kind of way helped too, where it's just like, I need to just be able to take as many hits as possible and be in front if need be. And, um, you know, be the thing that pushes things out of the way or can provide cover. Um, and that helped to really narrow it down a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah. So decencies ever given was sort of in that tank mode. What, what were some of your, the rest of your, um, goals in this build process? And because we, because we see a lot of that in action in the podcast, but I don't think we ever kind of holistically talked about like, this is what, uh, you know, I was shooting for in designing a mech. I viewed mine as, since Atwe loved being invisible, um, I uh, viewed him as a little stealth and going for long range, not being like in the in the meat of things, always being able to kind of sneak away if he needed to. That was kind of my um, my perspective. Yeah, and then I wanted to do a melee-only build because uh, it seems extremely stupid to do, and I thought that would be fun. And I also just was thinking of like my character as a cat. Like cats don't use guns; they can't. So I would think of the sort of the mind of a cat would go. Yes, the mind of a cat would go sort of instantly to melee, which is something that like they are like evolutionarily like optimized for. <laughs> And so, like, yeah, then creating this, this you know, cat mech that can basically just, like, rip shit apart. But Cats, at the same time... Cats, optimized is, for melee. <laughs> well, and I tried to min-max as much as possible. And I will say, Julia, you created a better build than mine with Peach's mech and kicked my ass. So game recognized game. <laughs> well, actually, I will tell you that Peach... So, for an... Uh, oh, and then we should talk about Todd's, because Todd's is so cool. Derek McDuck has a very cool... What I wanted to say is I really compliment how balanced the team was. I think that's something great about Lancer is that, um, you know, when it comes to building your character with sort of like a class like in D&D, you know, there are only so many so many classes and you kind of just... Um, not that Not that you can't, as you're building and leveling up, you can't like pick specific... Um, I know there's like... I don't actually play a lot of D&D, so I'm about to reveal myself as a fake gamer girl here. But like there's different paths you can go down and things like that. But what I love about Lancer is you can build around your character development or what you want to do on the team. And everyone was super balanced in that regard. Uh, Peach's mech is supposed to be like a cat samurai, like a samurai pizza cat inspiration. <laughs> because the, the GM doesn't get to like build from scratch the way the players do. You get templates and then depending on the tier you pick for that template, 
uh, you get to um, add on more and more things that make it like a little customizable, but it's actually like a major saving grace in terms of like, if I had to sit and do what you guys did for all the mechs, uh, I would be dead and I would not want to see the sun rise. <laughs> You'd still be doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I would still be doing it. Um, yeah. So that's, that's, I just, I just made peaches to be like, I'm like, it can't be a copy of, of 18,000. It has to be something. So I'm like, what if it's a samurai, which is called a Ronin mech in the, in the build, but it has a cat face. It was like, cool as hell, Julia. Cell yes. five. <laughs> um, like many things in this campaign, I pulled from a bunch of anime tropes. Um, I really enjoyed um, the... Oh gosh, the name of my mech just went straight out of my head, but the gear loose. Gear loose. I, uh, I couldn't remember like the, the chassis, but whatever. Um what was cool about it to me was it was definitely built to be a gunslinger. And I was thinking a lot of like outlaw star vibes um, because you can like load up your weapon and then it has certain kickback, which is like, like on that thing. And I was like, ah, oh, it's like when he's putting the special bullets, in his gun. <laughs> very cool. Um, and then because of anime bullshit, like he also needed an energy sword. Um, yeah. Cause you gotta like, uh, why bother? Um, so that's really all that went into it for me because as Giovanni said, like there's so many options and there's so many things that you could weigh. Um, so I'm glad that we got to do the license level zero stuff so I could like fool around with some other stuff. Um, and then focus in on like, this is the anime bullshit I want. Um, I think also what I thought about when I saw the book that I loved is that like in, in speaking of anime of a lot of anime tropes, like actually, so one of my favorites, which I may have talked about um, in my interviews is G Gundam. But another one of my favorites is, is Gundam seed. And in G Gundam that the mechs are actually, they're very themed, but their powers are all kind of the same because actually they're mostly like martial arts fighting. They just happen to be in robots. <laughs> so even though they technically have different, like I have a sword versus like I have, a samurai sword they're still like you know fight like they're just fighting because they're just guys fighting but in like Gundam Seed actually there's like this line of special Gundams these robots that are all like optimized for different combat things and it's a little more realistic I guess as much as you know the universe of Gundam where quote we can't we can't use any projectiles because of special particles in space we have to use giant robots <laughs> Literally, like in the first Gundam ever, I forget what it's called. Actually, I'm proving myself to be a bad Gundam girl, but like Mobile Suit Gundam. Mo in Mobile Suit Gundam, the particle. What's the particle named? It's like they literally in the first episode, they're like, we could use long range nuclear missiles, but the particles we can't. Only robots with swords will do. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really silly because like nobody asked, nobody cared. Like you didn't have to explain that by drawing attention to it. You've made it weirder. But um, but yeah. So why did I, I get mean, on Hideo the particles? Hideo Kojima does the same thing with Metal Gear. Yeah, yeah. Well, they have to walk around to be mobile to deploy the nukes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know how I got on the particles. Oh, the themes, like the themes and the different optimizations for the yes. For the oh, yes. Yeah. And thank you, Julie, because that actually leads me into. I was going to say I was very impressed by. I think you all did a great job of like finding a kind of team 
balance and team dynamic, uh, which is something that Lancer actually kind of builds into its system by designating each different chassis as a different role. They have like strikers, defenders, artillery, um, much much like what's widely regarded as the the pinnacle of Dungeons and Dragons design, fourth edition D anD. Um, <laughs> That's <laughs> a joke and not a joke. Also me trolling for hate mail for the podcast. Um, <laughs> but no, I want to ask, was that something that you all uh, set out to do? Or was that, you know, kind of happy confluence of different interests and goals? I think we just stumbled into it, right? I don't think we we didn't. I don't remember having an intentional conversation around it, but I will say Having that practice session helped, I think, me get a better grip on what I needed to do the build I wanted to have, like a tanky mech. Um, and I think without that, I would have, I changed so much, not just like the mech itself, but like the, um, oh, I can't remember what they're called now, but the skills like that I could um, carry you know, for my mech, I um, changed so much after that session because I realized that the things I took to do the things I wanted to do were not going to do the things <laughs> that I wanted to do. Um, so I do think that session helped us like get a feel for each other and like what we were each trying to to play with, even though we never officially really discussed it. Um, unless I just like totally blacked out when we did. Um in which case, someone correct me, please. I mean, I think you had like a couple of messages in the Discord that were like, I'm going for this. Am I stepping on anyone's toes? But not like a oh. discussion of any real kind. Because we were, we all, right, we all stumbled into it. You know, also in in this kind of campaign where, you know, I, I am developing the enemies like to oppose you. If all of you wanted to be samurai robots, like if everyone was like, I refused to back down from being samurai robots, I would have been like, cool, we're just going to do a campaign about samurai robots. I think that's what's actually pretty flexible. You don't necessarily like need a balanced team so long as the GM is willing to work with you and like not specifically build a bunch of enemies that are impossible for your team to beat. Switching over from the super crunchy tactical side of things a little bit, um, as we, we've already mentioned once during this discussion, the other end of Lancer, it, it kind of swings from a super crunchy system to a super, super broad system when you're not in combat and just, you know, interviewing scientists or petting a cat or uh, talking with a band or whatever. Um, and how, how did you all enjoy or not enjoy or navigate that kind of shift? Um, did that feel weird or was that fun to have sort of more freedom in the other space? I think it's nice that it's simple. Like, uh, my, the most experience I have with another game would be D&D &D 5e, which, like, isn't super complex in its social roles, but depending on what you want to do, there's, like, 15 different small numbers you might add to your dice roll, and this is, like, cool, roll a d20, get higher than 10, and there's, like, three things that you could try to do in different ways to add a modifier to it. Um, and otherwise, just like go with the flow. And I think that that condensing of rules made it really nice and easy to just be like, I'm just going to do this. Does that sound cool? I, 
I don't know what they were thinking when they built this system, but I assume that Todd's onto something with like, you know, when you're not in your mech, like keep it, keep it super simple and keep it fun. Keep it sexy. Like don't keep it broken. Keep it sexy. Like just, <laughs> um, uh, and, and that's the kind of systems I gravitate towards too. Maybe I'm just lazy and hate math, but no, yeah. but I think there's, there's an aspect of it that like, I don't know. I, I feel like this is where especially D&D can get into like weird, uncomfortable territory, right? Where like when you're rolling for how you act with other people um, and there's not much wiggle room for what that means or how that goes. And I loved that. It felt like the triggers were broad enough that there was a lot of wiggle room for how it could be used, um, that you could write your own even, and um, that they were just very specific. Like this idea that like people are you know, through lived experience or training have, you know, kind of built these specific skill sets around um, both traversing society and battlegrounds, I guess. <laughs> um, and I think, yeah, I, I really liked that it was simple, that I really only had to track like four, I think I had maybe four triggers total. Um, and really all I ever used was read a situation, which I used as liberally as possible. Yeah. I liked that it was simple. And, and I, I especially liked, and forgive me if somebody already brought this up, but that the book explicitly says you can fail anytime you want. Like, and, and I think that is something that in, in a world of RPGs where we really do focus on min-maxing a lot, it's really exciting to have a book that says you should be, it's okay to fail. Like you are free to make that decision when it's most interesting. Um, so that's, that's what's most fun, right? Is what's most interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think I, and I, I said this, I think during my interview, you know, I came to tabletop after I came to, to theater and to like crafting stories. And that's always been where I've clicked into it. And I don't really know what it's like to, to play a tabletop game specifically like to win it, if that makes any sense. Like I've never had, that's never appealed to me. And, and, and I, I'm sure there are people out there that like to have that experience, but um, yeah, for me, it's always not what, what will make me the coolest, most badass character. It's like, what's the most interesting choice here? That being said, my, my robot has the biggest gun. It has the biggest, <laughs> the biggest gun. Nobody else could have a gun bigger. Cause I said it was the biggest. <laughs> Privileges of being the GM. <laughs> That's true. I guess if I yelled and, and Peaches has the biggest gun ever. <laughs> And it does, oh, look, it does 90 damage. You all lost. I win. <laughs> what, what an ending for the story and possibly our podcast that would be. <laughs> Maybe our friendship. <laughs> I, I will say the only reason Peaches lived is because you did give her movement speed above that of the max. That's true. <laughs> That's true. I did, in fact, uh, in order to to uh, cheat, because I'm a dirty cheater, I gave Peaches a moving speed of whatever the fuck I say so yeah. she could get away. <laughs> Which was a great choice, because in character, I was like, I want to fucking kill her. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, yeah, I thought one, no matter, even Pe though Peaches is sentient and therefore did not 
is is available to be killed. I was like, there's nothing sadder than ending a podcast with a dead cat. So I was like, nope, the cat escapes. <laughs> I feel like that's fair. The, yeah. the, the cat, the cat, the the dead cat ending is probably not the, the like happiest vibe. No. But I did want to ask it, for all of you, Julia and and the players, is there anything that you would have liked to do differently, even just as an experiment looking back? Any impulses you wish you had followed or impulses you did follow that you wish you hadn't? <laughs> I, I just love um, impulses that you followed that you shouldn't have. It's like, does anyone want to apologize for anything they said? The floor is yours. <laughs> in our Blades in the Dark campaign... I I led an NPC on for a very long time in a way that was like became a running gag. And I was like, I feel like I made my character far more of a horrible person than I set out to because that I was, broke this woman's heart. <laughs> that was really sad too. like the taxi ride and everything as well with she just got dumped somewhere. At one it, point. Exactly. It's like real bad. So like. <laughs> So, very so I, funny, very funny, <laughs> real sad. But that's why I asked about the impulses you followed that you wish you hadn't. <laughs> okay, I'll say it out loud. It was funny and good. I said it in the chat, <laughs> and someone told me to say it because I was a coward. <laughs> and I am a coward. So, I'm but sorry. that was the other campaign. I want to. I want to spin yes. us back to spin okay. us back to Lancer. Yeah. Okay. Um. So I wasn't sure because this was my first time playing with Julia and our first time playing this game. I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to talk our way out of the battle with the Agate Cross. And so I fully like turned on my big rail gun and tried to be like, hey, cute lady, want to talk? Because if cute lady didn't want to talk, I was going to fire the rail gun at her or her father. <laughs> and I think... I'm glad that we talked because I thought that was a much more fun and interesting story. Um, but I think if I knew that that was a world that I could have gone in, I would have just like fully stopped fighting. Um, and instead I was like, let me just flip this switch over here just in case. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because my the only thing I can think of is the opposite of that in in that situation, which is like... Tristan goes into this thinking, I don't want to just go and kill a bunch of people who live here. They lived here first. These scientists are rude. <laughs> they suck. But but decency <laughs> decency probably should have been like, yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. Oh, it's going to be extra. <laughs> if you want me to prove <laughs> that they're all dead, it's going to be extra. <laughs> and- and I think there was a little bit of like, um, I don't know, learning voice until I hit the point where I asked if we were going to get paid, I guess, at the most inopportune time, which I think is where I really finally hit decency's voice. But yeah, no, mostly it was just good times. I had a that similar dilemma where I've, I had the same like, we're we just going to kill these people. We don't know anything about them. Yeah, I struggled with that as well. But um for Atwe, I <laughs> so in our character, uh, we were first talking about our characters together, our session zero, I guess. Um, I like had written down, you know, it would be fun if he was some kind of conspiracy theorist. And then I said that and elaborated on it, and then immediately was like, 
wait. There are dangerous conspiracy theorists in our world and our country <laughs> that concern me. And that's not necessarily anything that I want to relate my character to whatsoever. So I had a real like, crisis um, and was not sure what to do. Then I decided, okay, all of his conspiracy theories are going to be about food and plants. Just totally benign things. And then we started the play and um, that just like sort of fell to the wayside and um it came up like here and there which i thought was in the end i feel like was a good balance i'm, I'm glad that uh Atwe became more i don't know for me he became more defined by his social interactions the way that he interacts and views people and the way he talks to them um as opposed to these these things that you know i guess are pretty ancillary just on the side so yes, I think if I had been less concerned about all of that and uh, stop, not trying so hard to make it a thing, but not make it a bad thing, uh, I would have probably been less stressed at the beginning. Um, but again, like I said, I, I really enjoyed where he ended up. Um, pretty savage. He was he was fun to play. Um, I I do feel like uh, Giovanni. I you know it's weird when we, we played. Um, our first session, when we did sort of a practice, that was when Vera and Atwe first met. And at first I was just like, okay, who's like a character that would really like be a good antagonist to Atwe? And I'm like, oh, like an administrator, like the complete opposite of what he is. But then like, I don't know what happened. Like immediately there was chemistry. (laughs) I was like, like, oh crap, it's happening. So I do feel like actually that I I, I hope that one thing that I thought was like, oh, am I kind of hijacking Atwe's mushroom thing and making his story really about like his past with her and his relationships and like his relationship to this to this company and to her as an administrator and i'm like oh i hope i'm not hijacking anyone's like stories that they worked really hard or like even um you know tristan i i uh did the thing with roscoe which was not something we talked about your i just was like oh you said i go and get a coffee and i'm like okay there's a barista and i was like i introduced all these like elements and i was like oh i hope i'm not hijacking anyone's anyone's thing that they really wanted to play. But I guess that's kind of always a thing you're worried about as a GM. You want to give, you don't want to just sit there and be like, like, Oh, what do you guys want to do? Yeah. I'm just like here to tell you if your dice hit, like, no, you want to give them, you want to give them something to do. But I do, I do always, uh, I I worry that maybe I didn't get to some things that y'all wanted to get to. That's always a worry for me. I didn't feel that way at all. Um, it was, it was wonderful and it was fun. Um, Yes, no, and it gave a clear direction uh, again, and I think that was uh, a great because I fell in love with his his social interaction so much. That was uh, a thing that really ignited that in the first place. I lo- I really loved uh, Otway's relationship with work, and this as a person who consistently at day jobs is like, no, I only want to work part time, and I never want to be a supervisor again in my entire life. It like yeah. <laughs> it really resonated with me that Otway is like, no, I don't want a promotion. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm perfectly fine where I am. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But in in terms of um, like building the world around us, Julia, I felt like you did such a good job of like giving us those opportunities and then seeing where we what we kind of clung on to, which I think is just always a trait of a great DM um, GM is um, like recognizing what someone's interested in and diving into that more. And I loved in both cases with Roscoe, it was like that situation where you're 
often seeing someone you don't know well at all, and you're you're not sure if you want to know them better because maybe you find out something you don't want to know <laughs> or whatever, and like having to have a conversation with them, which I really loved that awkwardness there. But then also the flip side of that was like the second that I was like, oh, there's a scientist here who is got questions for us. Uh, I can get, no, it's fine. I can carry this for you. You were like, I think you even said at one point, oh, and then I could feel like you completely right. changing your energy around yeah. that right. situation to flip your, oh, decency gets a girlfriend switch. My girlfriend um, senses yeah. were tingling, you see. <laughs> and I'm very attuned to those. And when I see an opportunity for a girlfriend, I strike. Um, you, you did a great job of it. Thank you. Well, with Roscoe, what happened was I was, I was like, decency is a character that I think that when we talked about them, like they're, they're really kind of looking for who they are now. Like they're not quite sure who they are. And I was like, we need a character to foil decency who is so comfortable with who they are that it's almost (laughs) stupid. Like it's so like, and, and that's one of my favorite, um, my favorite, like, types of characters in general, like sort of, I guess we could call it archetype, like, like the, 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 the idiot truth teller or whatever, you know, like the person that's so comfortable with who they are, um, and seems like they just have life figured out for them. And I was like, that's the kind of character that decency needs to meet. And that's why it was that, that person. Yeah. Well, one of the moments where I first felt like one of the first moments I fully felt in character was when you had Roscoe say, oh, so you're kind of like the drummer of the group. And I was like, I am absolutely <laughs> like, that. yes. And yeah. I love that. Yeah, I love that he could he could guide decency a little bit to their <laughs> self-discovery. In terms of the um, being concerned about like hijacking other people's intentions or or hopes for a scene, I, um, I kind of felt the same in Hotway's like final scene. Um, with his uh, sort of impromptu date with Vera. I was like, oh, wait. Afterwards, I was like, did Julie have things planned? I don't know. I am kind of would want to know what they were. And, uh, no, that I don't was know. better than so, what, that's better than anything I could have come up with. Like, I think that's great. <laughs> A secret mushroom date is better than anything I could have come up with. Oh, that's, that's kind. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's when you know things are, things are really working, right? I mean, when you trust somebody, it's like, does... It's just, it's sort of silly improv rules, but like basically when you lob someone the ball, they're going to, they're going to catch it and then throw mm-hmm. it back. Like that's just, that's just it. And um, all of y'all are very good at that. Cass, do you have any other questions for Julia uh, about this process or about the game that you want to ask before we wrap things up? I don't think so. I was really fascinated by the twist with peaches. And so mm-hmm. it was delightful to hear that that was like fully planned out from the jump. Um, because it was the sort of thing that both made perfect sense and I did not see coming at all um, in a way that was really exciting. Um, Yeah, I will say that I I knew when I had to pick an antagonist, Ben, like when you came into the very first session where we just talked about our characters and you were like so gung-ho about being a cat with all of this lore, I was immediately like, "There, there. This has to be it. Like, there has to be another cat. Like, I just wanted to reinforce your really bold choice, basically. And I was like, the only way to do that, and and also, it's just such a delightful sci-fi trope, like the prototype coming for revenge, but it's a cat. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. so that that was why I decided it would be it would be um, 
uh, another cat. And Peaches is just the name of the cat that I based Peaches on. It was a beautiful, beautiful tabby. And sh- shout out to Peaches, who may be listening. <laughs> Thank you, Peaches. I mean, I will say, like, I, I was totally intimidated <laughs> that like so much of the story was like hinging on this like weird character backstory I created because initially when I created this I was like okay I'm gonna make a character who is like a really crazy background character basically like the the kind of character who says like you know five words at the end of a scene and you just like groan because that's the kind of character that he is like snarf. and like Yes. Thundercats. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, like, yeah, like deadpan snarf, basically. Oh my god. And, and like, and it's so it was like, it, it, I mean, truly intimidating, but also very exciting to like then have like so much going on that like my character was like had to react to and had like culpability in, um, which gave me just so much to play with, and it definitely did like. I mean, I am not like people are like, are you an actor? And I'm like, no, I'm a performer. Uh, <laughs> and so like definitely did uh, exercise muscles that I have not exercised and was again, like Julia, thank you for like being there and doing the amazing scene work that you did because <laughs> truly could not have done it. And and the rest of you too, like without like a complete framework for this like thing that became a big character arc. You know, I think as a GM, when I find either the player that like that that either is it, it, like is like finding their way into their character more like feels a little more like lost than the other people at the table or the person who's like, this is so weird, but I'm going to do it anyway. I always like the first storyline. I'm like, it's going to be about you because either you have to figure out who your character is or we all at the table have to go, no, your choices are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they're going to be the, the the first building block of, I don't know, you know, obviously you try to like divide up time between everyone. It has to be ensemble. But yeah, I did decide that if this was going to be like, uh, the way I structured it was sort of like a three act, like, I don't know, o- OVA, like an anime, like an anime movie. Like this is the movie that starts the series. And I'm like, there has to be someone who's at the front of the, uh, like, and I'm like, okay, so like Fish is going to be right now, is going to be sort of at the front of the group. We're just going to start there. And I was like, I pro- I know I can get to everyone and still have us have like one, like one storyline that we're all going towards. And it can also affect everybody on the team. Uh, so I, I just want you to know that, uh, you did a great job, Ben, and your choice was good and valid. And I think that they should create a Lancer expansion for playing cats. I think we should at them and say humans only. No. (laughs) Humans and two cats. It can be done. Yeah. Only two. Um, you did a great job, I felt like, though, of balancing all of us, Julia. Like, it never felt like it was, um, yeah, it never felt like it was just Ben's campaign or something. Like, it felt like there was this situation that hinged around that, but, like, we all were very much a team, and it felt, it felt really good. Um. Yeah, agreed. I, I have a question, which is, who would be the big bad of the next season of our Lancer show? Oh, wow. Like if we, we were going to do another show. another mission arc? Yeah, yeah, if we were doing another mission arc. I I think that I would pick I would pick um 
I don't know who the character exactly would be, but I would definitely, and this is not because you asked the question, Tristan, I promise, but I was thinking, I was like, if I had one more OVA, I would definitely want to make it about decency. Just because that mentor character we developed, I really wanted to throw in there. And I started to like actually think about cool things about what happened to that that person. And actually this kind of whole, decency's name is so cool. I like, I wanted to do a, a whole slew of names that are like basically noun and then a li- like alliteration like just sort of a lot of people <laughs> in their sphere I, I think I I think I named their their mentor like it was either um it was something like honor or or something like that like something that is similar to decency but <laughs> uh and I would want to do something about decency's past I feel like that's a good a good like follow-up when the teams like starts to like care about each other. And then you learn like the checkered past of the drummer uh, classic. I mean, Ringo's checkered past is my favorite Beatles movie. Um, and um, <laughs> so I, uh, I, I would probably do that. I would probably have some, it'd be somebody from decency's past. Sick. 10 out of 10. See y'all next week. And then I think that the third one would absolutely be something to do. Um, I think with, with um, Pothole, like Pothole McDuck would definitely visit the group and be like, I need you on a special mission of some kind. Like definitely Pothole McDuck would show up and Derek would be like, I need to prove to Pothole now that I'm good at my job. Um, so it would probably be, it would probably be somebody who, who hates the McDucks, like that, that Scottish guy on the actual like Scrooge McDuck show, the other Scott, he's the Scottish guy. The, uh, who's the guy in the kilt? The other duck that hates him. Oh, I don't know yeah, his, his arch, name, but I know who you're duck. talking about. Yeah, yeah, the arch nemesis yeah. duck would be there probably. And then um, for Otway, finding a a a bad guy from the from the either the past or somebody who's who's in Otway's life. I mean, I like the He's idea been that you there had... all along. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean. I, I don't, I, I, you guys, obviously you and Vera were on a Lancer team. Maybe the third or fourth member of your team are, are bad guys. Um, maybe, maybe Atwe, uh, sent his DNA somewhere and shouldn't have, and now he's got a clone, like he's got a bad clone, bad Atwe clone. Um, cause we love, we love clones and giant robot, uh, mm-hmm. robot anime. So those are those are some I those are some pitches. We'll see what what stays on the whiteboard. Like it'd be pothole McDuck, and then it would be like um, it would be like uh, fractured asphalt on gold. I don't know. Checkpoint McGoosley. Wait, I like checkpoint McGoosley. Unironically. Downbridge McCrane. (laughs) (laughs) Traffic Circle McSwan. (laughs) I love all of that, personally. I think they're now a pantheon of bad guys. They're all like brothers. It's, um, or I guess they they have different last names. Never mind. They're They're, they're the McDuck Rogues Gallery. (laughs) Yeah, the the Rogues Gallery of the McDucks. Julia, did you have any questions you wanted to ask the players as at the end of this whole arc? Um, oh my goodness! What? I, I, okay, I'm going to ask um, uh, a question to all of y'all, which is: um, 
if you're if you could get your mech to level to license level 12 <laughs> like so much that you could basically make up your own power what would what power would you make up for your mech at license level 12 and it can be anything you can tell me that you teleport that you teleport into the sun and live i don't care <laughs> <laughs> God, it feels overwhelming. I'm like, um, I might just say like actual walking fortress. Mm-hmm. Like complete <laughs> invincibility feels right. Like complete, like, like or at least the- like I can turn into a castle and everybody can be oh, inside it. Like, yes. Like how <laughs> just moving castle. Like move. you're literally a walking castle. Yeah. <laughs> That's freaking awesome. And what if it, when you're like the giant castle, like you don't have to sit in the cockpit anymore. You become like, like sovereign of the castle. You can run around all the different places of the castle and fire from different turrets of the castle. And you could just go, go you're just literally decency as a castle now. I love to be a house. <laughs> I think there might be something like this in the book. I don't know. Cause I got overwhelmed and stopped reading every single chassis. Um, but I would want to be able to do that, like anime sword fight bullshit where you're just like behind them suddenly <gasps> yeah, and your you... attack has gone through. And they, for a second, they're like, ha, huh, you missed. And then suddenly they've been cut in half. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that that's, that's a perfectly good uh ll12 movie i would love it if in the book they like lancer asks us and like actually there is a sword that does specifically that <laughs> <laughs> uses blinkate technology sorry oh, yes <laughs> um, i think for atue the two things i think of are um i find myself wanting to move more than i could so <laughs> being able to um I don't know. the The idea of teleporting is awesome, of course, but also maybe the the crab could like burrow underground and then pop up somewhere. Maybe he could do like a really high jump and like leap over the battleground and land somewhere else. Uh, I don't know. I think that would be cool, super agile. And then the other thing I thought of is, um, you know, it's like a crab. So how about some like claw and hammer attachments that can just rip off an arm or a gun or a mount or something from enemy max that could you know just tear them apart literally could be cool that would be um freaking awesome i love that i also like the idea of like you can take certain claws off and put different claws on like like um the way that you can have this is a little gruesome but like pop legs off crabs when you're eating them Mm -hmm. like you could pop them off and put other ones on that's (laughs) so great i don't know why i thought of vacuum attachments when you first said that. <laughs> but I, I no i mean it's that's probably that, well maybe because a vacuum's a machine and a crab is an animal <laughs> that probably makes more sense uh what about you ben is there anything on your wish list so I was finding that my melee weapons weren't doing as much damage as I wanted them to. And Tristan, you had that cannon that was doing like 10, 12 damage, like no question. It was amazing. And so I like, and there is one area, one dangerous area of the cat that I didn't use yet, which was the fangs. And so probably some sort of like AOE, like explosive fang deal that does like a huge amount of damage and probably does like damage to me as well. Like maybe sacrifice a structure for like a big bomb. Hell yeah. 
You know what I think of? Um, I think of Zoids for when I think of eighteen thousand, just because Zoids is all animal mechs. It's for it's for people who love mechs, but also love sweet little kitty cats. Uh, and that's what I was the, thinking too. Yeah, and and the Liger Zero gets different armors, so it can have different powers because also it's special main character boy mech, so it gets to be special. And I was like, maybe maybe eighteen thousand needs some cool, like you know how you put cats in and little outfits sometimes. <laughs> maybe it gets little 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 costumes. Yeah, just get your Liger Panzer. With that big big gun, you just can't move good anymore. Yeah, what would you uh, what would you put guy in? Just put a little sweater. I mean, on. he has the little chicken hat. <gasps> we were talking about this in the Discord because he were. hates it. He hates his chicken hat, but maybe eighteen thousand. You know, uh, Vera is like eighteen thousand. Behold, our latest technology. This chicken hat will help you like fire this oh, turret. God. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to reiterate that y'all are the absolute best. I uh, couldn't have asked for a better cast for this. And I've, I've had so much fun. It was a real great time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pure it was enjoyment. a ton of fun. Y'all are awesome. Amazing. Well, thank you all so much for chatting with us. And thanks and congratulations for your incredible work on Every Lancer Gets a Girlfriend. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> For our listeners, this wraps up our Lancer campaign and season two of Dungeons and Drama Nerds, but be sure to tune in next week for the exciting announcement of the games that we're going to be playing in season three. Dungeons and Drama Nerds is produced by Todd Brian Backus, Percival Hornack, and Nicholas Orvis, and is mixed and edited by Anthony Sertel Dean. Our Lancer game features Julia Doolittle as the GM, Todd Brian Backus as Derek McDuck, Giovanni Camano as Otwe, Ben Ferber as 18,000 slash fish, and Tristan B. Willis as Decency B. Dam. Lancer was written by Miguel Lopez and Tom Parkinson Morgan, and was published by Massive Press. If you'd like to help us continue exploring the intersection of theater and tabletop role-playing games, consider leaving us a review on your podcast app of choice or supporting us and getting access to our patron-only bonus content at patreon.com slash dungeonsandtraumanerds. You can find our social media and website links, including our cast bios, at the link tree in our show notes. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Dungeons and Drama Nerds.